like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com The author for today's episode of The Lift is Lee Foreman. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of Lee's work at leeandrewforeman.wordpress.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time... Substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. <laughs> the choices you made in the past don't matter, but the choice you make now is the one. The dimly lit alley, rank with the stench of refuse, lie between sunny and freedom. Leather briefcase full of money in hand, his shoes cut through the low fog, their soles slapping against the wet pavement. He pants in spite of the fetid odor steaming from the dumpsters, flanking the brick walls on both sides of him. Trash. That's all I ever was to him, he thinks. I don't give a shit if he is my brother. Big shot bank manager. Never gave me a dime. Serves him right. A familiar man's voice yells from behind. There he is! He looks back to a gang of three running toward him. Ralph, Pete, and Moe. His deceived and unpaid associates. Get him! Sonny runs, hoping he won't be shot in the back. He reaches for the pistol in his coat pocket as he exits the narrow alley and out into an unfamiliar neighborhood. Eyes dart back and forth, searching for a place to hide. A tall stone building stands out from the rest of the structures lining the old avenue, its face stern and hard, its expression permanent, as if it would be there long after the contemporary buildings crumbled into urban decay. No lights shine in any of the windows but a small lamp hangs over the entrance, swinging side to side. He makes his way to the front door and slips inside. The moment he passes the threshold, unease falls over him, like dust settling to the floor of an unused room. 
footsteps outside catch his attention, and he ducks behind an old couch in the middle of the lobby. His pursuers run past the building, don't even look in, but he dares not move until he can be sure they aren't coming back. The screeching of rusted metal from behind sends a jolt through his nerves, and he turns to face elevator doors opening. A light flickers on and off inside. In the middle of the floor sits a small music box on a bright red carpet. It invokes a curiosity in him he hasn't felt since he was a boy. For a moment, he feels the warmth of childhood nostalgia, a sample of sweet joy from a time before life threw him into a world of filth and bitter corruption. He steps inside, unable to resist the inquisitive impulse. The doors slam shut behind him, like the bars of a prison cell. He looks for the controls to open them, but no buttons or levers can be found. The fancy iron doors moved of their own volition, or were at least controlled from outside. Hello? Sonny calls out, hoping someone will hear, but receives no reply. Grabbing the iron bars, he tries pulling them apart. His neck muscles bulge as he struggles against their weight. They simply won't open. The lift rises, its mechanical dial over the doors moving like the hand of a clock. His heart pounds against his chest as a dizzying lurch of speed rattles the metal box. The ability to breathe escapes his lungs. Both eyes close as he grips the handrail and slides to the floor. Scenes of a dire end flicker before his mind's eye. Blood-covered money resting over his ruined corpse. Shit, he thinks. All this money is worthless if I die. The music box opens and plays as the elevator slows to a normal speed. When he lifts his eyelids, he is face to face with a little girl, holding the box in her hands, smiling. Do you like my music box? Stunned, he can't think of a response. He forces a smile through the veil of uncertainty, permeating the enclosed space of the elevator. Well, do you? Sure, it's real nice. You live here, little miss? She smiles, a grin too perfect, to practice for a child her age. His nerves tingle, a sensation which travels to every extremity. He tightens his grip on the briefcase with a sweaty palm, trying to hold on to reality. Something more than a young girl glares from her unblinking eyes. As much as he wants to look away, he can't break their hold. He's tethered, fixated, and unable to move. Staring into them, he sees beyond their soft, gelatinous exteriors and into a void, where he sees himself drifting into a place he can't fathom. He's never been more terrified of anyone, not even his former pals chasing him with murderous intentions. Sonny pulls himself up, wanting desperately to distance himself from this odd little girl. Where's this lift going? To the seventh floor, of course. Is that where you live? He asks in spite of the fact he didn't imagine anyone could live in the building. No, silly. That's where you're going. The elevator halts, nearly pitching Sonny off his feet. 
The door is open to a long, dark hallway. Here's your stop, (laughs) the girl says, giggling. In spite of the blatant oddity of his experience, he has no intention of going back outside and eating a bullet. So he goes along with whatever the hell he has walked into. He steps out of the lift and fills the squish of wet carpet. No surprise there, he thinks. Must be leaking in a hundred places. The scent of mildew rises from the fabric to assault his nose. But it was an improvement from the stench of the alley he'd been through. He tries to calm his panicked breaths and makes his way down the dimly lit corridor with no particular destination in mind. Why not just hide here until morning? Then I'm a free man. And a living one at that. Behind him, the elevator doors close with the grinding of rusted gears, leaving him alone in the mysterious hall. Dim lights flicker sporadically as he walks into the unknown of the building. Looking back, he finds that darkness has swallowed the elevator. He pulls the briefcase close to his chest with both arms, cradling his money as one would an infant. Turning forward, he can't see in either direction, and for a moment, he forgets from which way he came. No identifying markers exist in the hall, only cracked plaster walls with bone-like lath showing through the holes time had eaten away. A green light bursts into existence at the far end of the concourse. It dances like fire. A silhouette appears and casts a narrow shadow along the floor, bearing a resemblance to the girl in the elevator. The figure melts away, and the green flame dies with it. A door opens somewhere down the corridor with the sound of unoiled hinges. He inches his way toward the sound, placing his hand on his gun, an instinctual motion learned from his years on the streets. He finds a plain white door leading into a small, perfectly square room. There, he finds Harry sitting on an old wood chair with his hands folded on his laps. Harry, what are you doing here? Harry lifts his head slightly, eyes angled up behind his thick, wrinkled brow. You betrayed me. What? Sonny inches back, creating a gap between them. You could have asked for the money, Harry says, his eyes never blinking, never straying from his brother. You'd never give me a cent. I know you. You're a stingy, penny-pinching bastard. Why would you send your own brother to prison? Your own flesh and blood? How do you know? It was a perfect setup. I know. Harry grins and nods his head. Look, I'm sorry. I really am. But I gotta do what I gotta do, understand? You could bring the money back. I have a wife and children. Your sister-in-law. Your niece and nephew. Do you think about what would happen to them? Don't try to put a guilt trip on me. What's done is done. Harry stands monstrously taller than Sonny remembers. The notches etched into the kitchen doorframe of their childhood home had always been even. He smiles, revealing a mouth full of blackened, rotten teeth. His eyes, red and sinister, dart feverishly like those of a cornered animal. Sonny backs away, 
wildly grabbing the air behind him in search of the door. When his fingertips make contact, he swings it open and dashes out of the room into the darkness of the hallway. A tumultuous crash of splintering wood comes from behind, and Sonny looks back to see that Harry has smashed the door on his way out. His hulking form stands in the hall, a red glow emanating from the room. It bathes his side in fiery light, casting an appallingly larger shadow on the wall. Sonny runs. A vicious growl sounds reverberating in the walls, vibrating in his chest. The sound of a beast like none he'd ever heard. Every synapse in his brain tells him to get away from Harry and that otherworldly crimson light. He yells into the shroud of dark ahead, unsure if he expects an answer. What the hell is going on? How do I get out of this place? The hallway ends with a door, and in his panic, Sonny slams head first into it. He clambers for the handle, gets a grip on it, but hesitates. The elevator's in the opposite direction. I'm going further in, not out. He considers the idea. The unknown is ahead, something monstrous behind. My only choice is to move forward. He enters a luxurious room, which doesn't belong in the dilapidated building. A silver chandelier hangs from the ceiling. Every candle on its intricate design aflame. Gold trim lines the walls, and a red carpet, much like the one in the elevator, blankets the floor in soft fabric. In the center of the room stands Harry, holding the little girl's music box. What's going on here? Sonny asks. Look at this music box, Harry replies. Where did you get that? Harry muses over the wooden box, turning it in his hands, inspecting it. He rubs his fingers along the surface, feels the corners and edges. Do you think it was special? Sonny only stares. The music box. Do you think it was special to that little girl? I don't know, Sonny says. What does it matter? What are you doing here? It matters. It matters because I betrayed someone to get it. Don't you think that's wrong? The backs of Sonny's eyes pulsate, his mind burning with rage. He curls his hands into fists and breathes copiously. (sighs) You think you're some kind of fucking choir boy, don't you? You stand tall with your shit morals and look down on me for what I do. Maybe if you were in the same situation, you'd get it. But you don't, and you never will. Insult me again, and I'll beat the shit out of you like I did when we were kids. Harry only smiles. There are other ways to make a living. I was a bank manager before you decided to steal the money and place the blame on me. Yeah, well, maybe none of those other things worked out for me. You don't think I tried? Why don't you just turn yourself in? You don't want your poor little niece and nephew to suffer, do you? Sonny lifts his gun. Don't make me do this, Harry. Asshole or not, you are my brother. You'd shoot your own brother? Harry furrows his brow and shakes his head back and forth. That's no way to treat family. No way at all. I'm not going to prison. The word's final. And by a half-conscious, half-subconscious action, 
Sonny pulls the trigger. The shot deafens him in the small room as he watches the spot of blood grow on his sibling's shirt. Harry stumbles back and slides to the floor, leaving a smear of red on the white wall as he goes down. Sonny watches, heart pounding in his ears, the only thing he can hear. He looks at the gun in his hand. For a moment, unsure whether he actually pulled the trigger or not. A conflict grows inside, which he hasn't encountered for a long time. His conscience tugs at his bowels, threatening to pull them asunder. He bolts out of the door and head first into the dark, too afraid to care what might be ahead. I shot him, he thinks. I shot my brother. Where the hall existed before, he sees only the ebony maw of darkness. With a lighter from his pocket, he sparks a flame, but the feeble light finds no surface. The void swallows it whole. The door slams shut behind him, and he turns to look back. It is no longer there. The only thing visible is his hand, and only by the light of the flame. He bends his knees and lowers the lighter to the floor, if only to find some surface on which to ground himself but only finds nothingness, and his hand extends past his shoe through where the floor should be. Vertigo overcomes him, and he is no longer able to determine which way is up or down. A voice echoes, and he can't be sure if it's in the room or only in his head. It's the voice of the girl from the elevator. Why did you shoot that poor man? Was he not your brother? He gave me no choice. You always had a choice. I gave you another one and you didn't take it. You're a very bad man. Although her last words had been phrased as a child would speak them, they carried a weight beyond that of such an innocent voice. Something deep and knowing came with the expression, violating his privacy somehow, invading his soul. It settles into his bowels like a lead ball, the heavy burden of wisdom pulling him deep down into a pit not far from hell. What is this place? Get me out of here, please. You're not going anywhere. You did a bad thing taking all that money for yourself and making sure your brother would take all the blame. Your brother was a good man, was he not? Sunny knows she already has the answer. A sliver of light appears bright, blinding. It grows until it reaches the shape of a door. He puts his hand over his eyes in an attempt to see before it's blotted out by the silhouette of Harry standing in the luminescent frame. No, Sonny says, trying to back away, swinging his arms and legs in vain. No, it it can't be. I, I shot you. You're dead. Harry, blood still flowing from his wound, smiles and shakes a finger at him. No, Sonny, I'm not. Harry's form towers over him, his glowing red eyes blazing. He wraps his hand around Sonny's neck, his thick cluster of fingers crimping Sonny's trachea like meaty clamps. Sonny's chest hitches, trying to keep him alive. His vision blurs, and Sonny's eyes begin to form a splattering of red over everything he sees. Behind Harry, standing in the dark, 
is the little girl from the elevator. She holds the music box in her hands. The edges of Sunny's vision darken and all color fades away. The fleshy lids become heavy, slowly falling. As they cover his eyes like a shroud, the music box begins to play. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Today's episode featured a story by Lee Foreman, The Exchange. If you'd like more information about Lee and his work, please visit leeandrewforeman.wordpress.com and follow him on Twitter at leeandrewforeman. Artwork for today's show was created by Stephen Matico. If you'd like more information on Steve and his work, please visit wideeyedotter.com and follow him on Twitter at S underscore Matico. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost, and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. You can find us there at itunes.victoriaslift.com. Follow us on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift don't miss the next episode subscribe to the show in stitcher tune in radio itunes and coming soon to google play this show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash victoria's lift all works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission dramatic reading performed by daniel foytek that's me The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. The lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds, cathedralsounds.org. The lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitaze of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. And Nico is now the official music director for The Lift, which means that he will be in charge of coordinating all the music and scoring with all the various composers that we work with. So looking forward to that. For information on the incidental music in this episode, please visit the show notes at victoriaslift.com. You can find all the titles and credits there. The Lift is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. Creator and producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lohman. Music director, Nico Vitase. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com, S1E8. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library 
Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.